Well, I hope you're enjoying singing that song, the song about the reality of Jesus' suffering in our place, because it really leads into this morning as we talk about this, this label series. We're finishing it up over the next couple of weeks, and today we're really focusing on the crucifixion. Now, why is the series called Labels? It's because we're looking at the Gospel of Luke and the reality that Luke introduces us to characters that we're not introduced to maybe as much in the other, uh, in the other Gospels, uh, people who feel isolated, too far from God, a little bit too prodigal, like they're never going to be able to make it home. These are people who um, have allowed other people to label them, you are a this, or you're not enough of this, or maybe they've labeled themselves because of past mistakes, failures, um, and regrets. And it's not just them. I think the reason that we resonate so much with Luke's gospel is because, uh, because we do the same thing. We label ourselves. We allow other people uh, to label us. And so as we read through the gospel together uh, in a month, in the month of May, and then we prayed the gospel together in the month of June, and now we've really been focused in the last six weeks in July here in the beginning of August in living this gospel and living these realities out. So we've kind of followed that outline, right? Read it in, pray it up, and then, and then live it out because the gospel calls us to a life that's above labels. So now we come today to, uh, to the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23. And what's interesting, maybe a, maybe a different take on the whole labels idea, is that it's not just that we receive labels, but as we hear about we, the, the crucifixion, we tend to label the people who are involved, right? Um, Judas betrayed Jesus, Peter denied Jesus, Herod laughed at Jesus, Pilate tried to wash his hands of Jesus, all of these all of these characters, but as Luke tells us the story, Luke focuses on really a, a little bit of a different group of characters. Certainly he involves some of those, but Luke in Luke chapter 23 really focuses um, on the criminals that surrounded the cross. A man named Barabbas and two other uh, unnamed criminals really become the focus of, of Luke's narrative. And he um, he tells us this, this reality that while Jesus is innocent, it's the guilty who end up going free, that there's this swap that takes place. As a matter of fact, seven times in the Gospel of Luke, he, he emphasizes this reality. I'll read you just a couple of them, just, um, just to kind of back up what I'm saying there, starting in Luke chapter 23, verse 4, then Pilate announced to the chief priest and to the to the crowd. I, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He's proclaiming the innocence of the man that, that he's about to crucify. Down in verse 14, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he, this is the he that he's referring to here is Jesus. He has done nothing deserving of death. And then again, verse 20 of chapter 23, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. And then again, down at the end of verse 22, why this, what crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and, um, and I will release him. 
But it's in the middle of declaring the innocence of Jesus that the people cry out to Pilate, the religious leaders and the others who were around the city there um, for Passover. They cry out to Pilate, no, release to us Barabbas. There was this tradition uh, to try uh, for the governor like Pilate was, the Roman governor, uh, was to release a prisoner to try and appease the people at Passover, to try and quell any any riots. And so Pilate thought he would use that loophole to release Jesus. But the people said, no, 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 we, we want Barabbas. And Luke tells us a little bit uh, about that verse 18, but the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And here's the, here's the footnote, the parenthetical footnote from Luke. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city uh, and for murder. So here's Jesus who's innocent, who's done nothing wrong, and the people say, no, instead of, instead of someone who's innocent, instead of someone who left heaven, came to earth, now we would rather have, we would rather have Barabbas. And Luke emphasizes it over and over, twice in the chapter. He says, no, I mean, you, this guy's a murderer, right? He's, he's committed. I mean, I mean can, you imagine, um, can you imagine me introducing a friend uh, to you and saying, um, hey, this is my friend Bill who uh, committed murder, first degree. It was, it was bad. Uh, how, about those, um, how about those Buckeyes this year? They really need to shore up the defense if they're going you know, to win the Natty this year. By the way, did I tell you about Bill? Bill's on death row, murder, murder. I mean, if, it's just such an interesting way that Luke emphasizes it and it introduces us to Barabbas. He's pointing out the fact that humans chose an insurrectionist and a murderer over Jesus, who is in Jesus the innocent, is going to die so that the guilty can go free. And what I think is important for you and I to understand, maybe here in the first part of the chapter about the crucifixion of Jesus, is that in some way, shape, or form, spiritually speaking, we are all Barabbas. Now, are his crimes different maybe than your crimes or my crimes? Absolutely. Do they have different consequences um, physically in the world that we live in? Absolutely. Do they have a different spiritual consequence in terms of separating us from God? Absolutely not. That we are all born into this world. The way that we've said it over the past couple of weeks um, here at the Lewis Center campus is that we are all born going, I'm going to go my way. I'm born going my way, but at some point in my spiritual journey, just like Barabbas was placed with the choice, just like the characters that we're going to look at later um, in, the, in the chapter are going to be placed with the choice, that at some point, me going my way, I have to make this spiritual U-turn and turn and go God's way. This spiritual U-turn is called repentance. And so what happens is that the guilty, spiritually speaking, the guilty can go free because of what Jesus has done for us. But to start with, as we're born, as we come into the world, we, we're all him. We, we are all Barabbas. And you're going to say, well, Dean, I'm not that bad of a person. I, don't, I mean, I've done some bad things in my past, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm really, I don't do bad stuff. I don't break God's law. I've, I've got a verse for you. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 17 says this. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Sin is, just, is not just doing wrong things. It is also the failure to do the right things. 
How often have you passed somebody who had a need and you haven't met it? Your heart, was, your heart was pricked to do something and you didn't do something. How often were there opportunities for you to stand up for somebody and you didn't stand up for them, to speak up for somebody and you didn't speak up for them? How often have there been times for you where you could have given, where you could have sacrificed and you chose not to do it instead of to? All of that, the failure to do good is also representative of this reality that I'm bent on doing things my way. And then there has to come a moment, there has to come a, a time in my life where I make that spiritual U-turn, I turn back God's direction, and I'm willing, to, I'm willing to repent. Now that's important because of the way that we look at the nature of salvation. And I, I wanna be real careful here um, because there's a tension. There's a tension that exists when we think about making that, that U-turn. And on one end of that tension is a... Um, sometimes a level of emotion uh, that accompanies that turn that we make in placing our faith and trust in God to do what we can't do, to do in his finished work in the cross, in the crucifixion, what we cannot do in ourselves to change us spiritually. Angie and I, um, we were blessed to lead uh, a collegiate ministry uh, whenever we were in seminary and one of the college students who uh, he'd just been coming for a few weeks he came to me and he was talking about spiritual things one time we were having this conversation and um, I was trying to guide him as best I could to what God's activity was um, in his life and I said well you know really you just you've got to take that first step of of salvation and he said well I know I need to do that but I can't I can't do it and I said well why not and he said well I grew up in a church and I wanted to take that step. I went to the front of the church when the service was kind of winding down and I went and talked to the pastor and I told him that I, that I wanted to do that. I wanted to, I wanted to experience salvation, but he told me that I couldn't, that I wasn't ready. And I said, ready, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not, <laughs> you're not ready? And he said, well, I just, I wasn't desperate enough. And what I think the pastor was trying to communicate to this young man, right, is that yes, there is emotion, right? There's affection for Jesus that's involved in salvation, but different people are different and they're gonna experience that differently in different levels of emotion. But for him, he had a barrier. He was waiting on this um, emotional sense of overwhelm to hit him, spiritually speaking, so that then he thought he would be, he would be ready. And it just left him kind of spiritually stuck. Now, the other end of that tension, and one I think that probably we experience more, is an intellectual decision. So, so salvation is not just an emotional decision, but it's also not just an intellectual decision. It's not this sense that we can come to God and just make this, well, you know, it seems like it's better to be a Christian than to not be a Christian. I mean, it's kind of like well, I mean, there may be a God. I'm not sure there's a God, but there may be a God. So I better become a Christian just in case so that if anything ever happens to me, because I really don't know what's on the other side of death, I want to make sure I've got all my bases covered. And that's not representative of what we see biblically in salvation either. There's a, there's a tension there. There's, there, there is emotion, there's affection involved, there's definitely an intellectual understanding that comes, but when you make that turn, those two things come together. How do they come together? I'll, 
I mentioned our mine and Angie's seminary days. Our first pastor uh, as a married couple when we were in seminary was a guy named Adrian Rogers. And the way that he used to say it is that in salvation, young people, middle-aged people, older people, in salvation, we give all we know of God, of ourselves, to all we know of God. And for the rest of our lives, we learn a whole lot more about ourselves and we learn a whole lot more about God. We give all of ourselves to all we know of God. And for the rest of our lives, we learn a whole lot more about ourselves and we learn a whole lot more about God. Now, one of the critical parts of that, that phrase in there is to give all of ourselves because there's this tendency of you and me on the intellectual side just to say, nah, you know what? I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna make this choice. I'm gonna make this decision because it seems like there's more benefits than there are losses. And, and sometimes, when you approach salvation from that perspective, you end up with, with an attitude that maybe is summed up best in a phrase or something like, you know, God, save me when I die, but don't tell me how to live. Save me when I, I mean, I want to be ready for death, but don't, don't, don't tell me how to live now. I'm, I'm just in it for the, I'm just in it for the end. That we are all, um, we are all like the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Whenever Paul comes to him in Acts chapter 16, there's this, there's this event that occurs in his life and he thinks, man, this is it, this is it. And he realizes salvation. He realizes the message that Paul's been sharing in the prison is real and it's true. And he asks this question. He says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's important for us. Because once we answer that question, once we repent, once we give or place our faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, the second question that we ask, not just what must I do to be saved, this next question we, we're going to ask is, what must I do because I'm saved? Because I think where a lot of us end up is in this space where we kind of ask the question, well, what can I do? How much of my way can I still hold on to? Um, what can I do and still be saved? That's the wrong answer, the wrong attitude, and the wrong approach to salvation. We are all, we're all Barabbas. We all have to come to repentance. But the second group of criminals in Luke chapter 23, they tell us, they tell us a very, um, a very similar and at the same time different story. Look back to the text. Look down in verse um, 39, Jesus has been crucified. He's been hanging um, on the cross. And, um, and here's, what, uh, here's, what those verses, here's what those verses say. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is crucified between two thieves. Now, it's a brilliant marketing plan on the part of the religious leaders um, because if there's a criminal over here and there's a criminal over here, what message are they trying to send the public? There must be a criminal in the middle. Um, crucifixion was not actually 
uh, invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Persians, but it was definitely perfected by the Romans. Crucifixion really, um, it affected no vital organs. And so the victim of crucifixion um, could hang um, on a cross sometimes for days, uh, two days, three days before eventually uh, dying of asphyxiation when the, when the muscles of the body could no longer hold it up to catch air um, and to breathe. And so that left, um, that left time for conversation. And so here's Jesus in the middle of, of these two thieves and, and one thief, um, it says, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and and save us, which sounds a lot like what we talked about in Luke chapter four, right? The ways that Jesus was, was brought temptation by the, by the enemy, right? You don't have to go the way of the cross. You don't have to do this. Jesus, you can, you can save yourself. Now, what that criminal doesn't understand, what he doesn't realize is that Jesus can't physically save himself because he is spiritually saving him, right? He said, save yourself and us. And I, I think Jesus could have looked at him and said, that's exactly what I'm doing. You just don't see it. You just don't understand. You're looking for your way. This, this, physical, this physical salvation. Save yourself, save us. I think Jesus would say, that's exactly, that's exactly, what, that's exactly what I'm doing. But then there's a criminal on the other side. And while this guy over here is a hurling insults at Jesus, this criminal over here somehow has the spiritual eyes, the spiritual insight, the, the understanding to see what it is that God is doing. And he just prays, this simple prayer, this simple ask. He just says, Jesus, could you just remember me? Because we're up here, the, me and this other criminal, we're up here because we have done justly. We are getting the just penalty of the things that we've done. But Jesus, you're the innocent. So would you just remember me whenever you come into, into your kingdom? Which I'll say to you again, it leaves us in a spot. We're hedged in between two. The lesson that we learn from these two criminals are you can either insult him or you can join him. But there's no middle ground. And you're going to say, well, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurl insults up at God. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not that brave. I'm not going to do To reject the nature of God's salvation, Jesus dying for you on the cross, leaving heaven, dying in your place is to, is to insult him. The simplicity of this, what history has called the good thief. The simplicity of him making that spiritual U-turn God and saying, I want, I want God's way in my life. He is, uh, he's become the fly in our theological ointment because he does nothing, he does nothing to merit salvation. As a matter of fact, he's probably done just all the opposite things in our mind, the way we look at things to receive this this salvation gift, but Jesus says to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. 
You know, um, in Ohio, um, over the past couple of decades, we've been blessed in our state uh, with some very gifted spiritual teachers that you've probably seen on the radio or TV or otherwise. And one of those is a pastor up from up in the Cleveland area. His name is Alistair Begg. And he was talking one time about these two criminals. And um, he was at a conference. He was preaching on the doctrine of justification, how we as sinful people can be made right in, in front of God and I'm grateful somebody caught it on video. Maybe some of you have seen this uh, periodically. This clip will make its way on the rounds on social media every couple of years. But I just want you to take just a second, and I want you to listen. Uh, I want you to listen to this clip, this explanation of what it was like, potentially, whenever this good thief was on his way to join Jesus in paradise. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense! I can't, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him how did that shake out for you? Because you were you were you were you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never you didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you, first of all. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the... That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me, and as soon as you go there, 
it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, It it makes me want to try and speak with a Scottish accent. I'm, I'm, yeah, I would totally, <laughs> totally wreck that out if I, tried, if I tried to do that. I love that the man on the middle cross, the man on the middle cross says, I can come. Uh, some of you know that uh, I coached basketball uh, for about 16 years, and uh, before I quit coaching just a couple of seasons ago, I coached JV girls. And uh, my first season, I coached three seasons of JV girls. First season of coaching JV girls, uh, our season was going okay. And uh, we were playing uh, our arch rival, Bexley. Uh, now, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody. You may, you know, you may love Bexley. Everybody's got the right to be wrong. Um, we, were, we were playing Bexley one night. I was out of town, so I was only going to make it for half the game. The second half, I got there, halftime. About halftime, we're down 12 points, right? So uh, the other person who was uh, helping me coach, she was a varsity assistant, so she went on, and I had to take over at halftime. So we're down 12. I go in at halftime. I've got my speech ready, and in my mind, I've got it figured out. Here's how, here's how this is going to go. I've got strategy for the second half. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to give the motivational speech. We're going to come out in the second half. We're going to barnstorm uh, Bexley. We're going to win the championship. They're going to raise a banner in the gym. I'm going to be um, inaugurated right in to the JV Coaches of Ohio Hall of Fame. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a thing. And, and it's gonna, I'm going to forever be, forever be remembered, right? I've got this whole thing in my head. So we come out in the second half, and here's my strategy. We had a couple of good freshman shooters um, on that team. One of them was a young gal named Kendall. So since Bexley was bigger than we were, I decided one of my shooters over here, one of my shooters over here, we're going to penetrate, and we're going to kick, and we're going to just we're just going to shoot threes. So we come out, second half, couple plays, back and forth. We come down. We get a dribble drive. We kick left. We kick the ball to Kendall. She sizes it up. Bang, right there. We got a one three-pointer down. I've got the full court uh, press put on. We're quicker. We're faster. We're getting steals. A couple of more plays back and forth. Kendall runs through to the other side. There's a scrum for the ball. The ball gets kicked over to her. She picks it up. Right corner. Bang, another three. Then all of a sudden, we've cut the lead to six. And I can, I can see the banner going up in the gym. I can, I'm, you know, Coach K is going to call me, tell me what a great job uh, that I'm doing at the JV level, right? I've got it all figured out. And because I had the press on, so, so this uh, young gal, uh, Kendall, she hits that three, Bexley inbounds the ball, and she reaches to get a steal right off the end of her fingertips. She just, just misses the steal, goes into the girl from Bexley's hand. So all of a sudden, they've got four excuse me, they've got five going that way, and we only have four getting back because Kendall's kind of moving her momentum is, is taking her that way. Well, what happened, um, so Kendall, when she takes that step, 
foot kind of hits the ground and she always chewed gum whenever she played. So when she takes that step, all of a sudden, spits her gum out onto, onto the floor, right? Now, Kendall, uh, incredibly nice uh, young lady, very, very kind, raised uh, to never leave trash on the floor, but all of a sudden she's got a decision to make, right? The play's going that way. We're only, we're only down six, right? We need a, but her gum is sitting right there in the middle of the floor. And you got to make a split second decision, right? She's either going to go down there, forget about the gum, go down there, get back in the, pl in the play, probably like her dad would want her to do, or she's going to pick her gum up, probably like her mom uh, has, has taught her to do. And so she makes a split second decision and she reaches down, she goes back, she picks up, not only does she pick up her gum, she goes three steps off the court to find a trash can <laughs> to, throw it, to throw it into, right? Um, we, we, never did make the, we never did make the comeback and we never did get the, the banner raised uh, in, the, in the gym uh, in our honor. But I think about that moment, we find ourselves in these moments where um, we have to make a decision and you cannot go both ways. And I just wonder if today, um, maybe you've never made this turn. Maybe you've never repented. And on the basis of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you can make that turn today. You say, how do I do that? The man on the middle cross says that you can come. But maybe today you're a Christian and maybe your spiritual life is kind of flailing and maybe you've developed some self-salvation strategies, some other things that you're relying on. Today is a day of repentance for you as well. It's not just that we repent one time and we become Christians. But the good news of the gospel is that even though we are all Barabbas, we can all become the good thief. We can all simply come to Jesus. And we can say, Lord, remember me. Not remember part of me. Not just remember me when I die, but don't tell me how to live. But Jesus, all of me that I know and understand and have right now, all of me is yours. I'm going to take just a second and I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I want to give you the opportunity to pray and maybe this morning to take that step of coming to know Christ personally. Maybe to take that step as a believer to repent, to turn back God's way. If there's any distance between the two of you. And after that, we will celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for the brutality, the torture, the gruesome death, God, that you experienced in our place, in our half. And it is, God, a reminder to us the brokenness of your body, the shedding of your blood, all of that is a reminder of how much you love us. And so, God, for folks who are listening this morning, um, I pray that you... God would speak to them, draw them, give them the sense of your nearness. Maybe some of them trusting you for the first time. And maybe a lot of us returning to that all of me, all of me, what must I do because I'm saved kind of attitude. 
God, we are grateful for your patience and for your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I said um, earlier before the service that you should grab some elements to celebrate communion with us today. I just remind you that communion is for Christians to celebrate the broken body and the blood of Jesus that was shed um, for us. In light of that, Jesus said the night before he went to the cross that Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. And then the scriptures say that he took the cup and he gave it to them and he gave thanks and he said, drink all of it for this is my blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins. Maybe for you this morning, there is blessing in the turning. We would love to help you. We'd love to bless you as a church family in any way that we can. If today was your first day to take that step, cross the line of faith, to follow Christ, to kind of have that, that spiritual U-turn, place your faith in him and say, all of me, Lord, all I know, all of me to all of you. We would love it if you would let us know about this decision that you've made today. We've actually written a book for you. It's called Your Next 30 Days. And it'll just help you to know where to go in this journey. And so if you will uh, type in lpguest.com into the URL, either on your phone or on your computer. I'll say that for you again. It's lpguest.com. Um, if you'll type that in, click on the guest, or excuse me, click on the next steps uh, button there. It'll take you less than a minute to fill out that card. We'll send you a free copy of your next 30 days, and we will help you in any way that we can. Maybe today you'd like to share a prayer request um, with us. We would love the opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to begin a conversation about going public with your baptism. We would love as well the opportunity um, to help you in this spiritual life, this spiritual journey, in this U-turn, this, this desire that now you have instead of going your way, to go God's way. I hope you'll take just another second now as we, um, as we worship um, our way back towards the cross.